Welcome back or welcome to the Humans of Triathlon or Hot podcast where we bring you the ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon one human one story at a time with the aim to inspire and to celebrate this life-changing sport and its humans through real authentic raw and enjoyable conversations with humans of triathlon from around the globe and from all walks of life Hello humans of triathlon this is Swapnil Chauhan here speaking from India along with my co-host Charles from London UK and unfortunately it's just going to be the two of us this week Robin won't be able to make it and we're joined by another amazing guest so Charles I'll let you go ahead and introduce her All right welcome 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 season 2 of the hot podcast is hotter than ever and today's story has three parts to it part 1 You have a little girl who grew up in Corsica, beautiful island. This is almost like the Mamma Mia part of her story. Imagine a happy life in the sea, in the Mediterranean Sea, where everyone on her of her family would constantly sing and dance to ABBA songs to talk to each other. Right? Beautiful. However, at some point she was diagnosed with a severe kind of kidney disease at the tender age of 7 with multiple surgeries required to save her life. Part 2 takes place in the US where our guest moved to and of course she discovered the beautiful sport of triathlon coining to different races different distances different destinations crazy 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 all fun and part 3 well no sorry i cannot say anything but if you stick around for the next hour you may find out about part 3 so without further ado the season 2 episode 2 guest is none other and the lovely Melody Carly. Welcome Melody. Thank you very much uh, Charles. Welcome. Thank you everybody for uh getting me on this uh amazing podcast and this amazing channels that I've been following for quite some time now. It's absolutely a pleasure. So how have you been how's 2019 been treating you so far? So far so good. I can't complain. I've been very excited to schedule my new races for the for the upcoming season and been, uh, it's been an amazing time looking forward to 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 2019 nice 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 and, and you're so you're based in new york aren't you i am based in new york quite often on the go i have to say because of my of my work but uh but based in new york yes mm. yeah we've we've had quite a few guests from new york on the show haven't we charles yeah i think three or four at least many triathletes out there were some crazy stories i know yeah melody you weren't born in the states were you I was not. I was born like Charles said. I was born in the south of France in a beautiful island called Corsica and I moved to the United States at the age of uh, 18. Hmm. Yeah, I hadn't heard of Corsica before, so I just I just looked it up and like Charles said it looks amazing. I mean, the mountains, the forests, it's an island so there's water. It's like it's like the perfect place for an adventurous and active kind of person. No, indeed, and it's uh, funny enough that it's also a perfect place to to train for, you know, sports like triathlon because exactly it's so diverse. But I never discovered triathlon until I actually moved to the US and New York, where everything is actually pretty flat. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so what kind of sports and stuff did you do as a child? Uh, so I grew up playing um, playing tennis for 15 years. Um, 
I was a ranked athlete in, uh, in tennis in France. And then obviously everything that revolves around, um, you know, water sports, so like surfing, scuba diving, mm-hmm. and, you know, all the, all the type of sports that revolves around, uh, around water, really, you know, growing up on an island, that's really what you're, you're born uh, knowing and doing. So it's quite pleasant. So definitely open water was not something new for you. Open water was not something new. And I know, you know, based on meeting a lot of people who are currently doing triathlon, the one basic fear in triathlon is is most of the time the, the swimming portion of it. Exactly. And for me, the fear of depth of water was never, never an issue, really. So that was to my advantage, I guess. Nice. Very nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you had you know quite a tough childhood like like charles mentioned the start right from the age of seven you were basically fighting for your life right so to to get things going to get your story going sort of take us back to that time and everything that was going on Mm -hmm. so like charles mentioned earlier um i was growing up like a a normal child i would say you know i was uh, very active i was playing tennis already for a few years uh, I always kept a very active lifestyle. My mother always promoted that uh, that side, you know, of staying active and, and healthy. But there seems to always be a, a problem with pain associated to, you know, any movement I would be doing when I was a child. And, you know, repetitions of, I mean, plenty of problems. Uh, and we were not really sure of what was happening with me. So after checking with many, many doctors for a few years, we still could not find the problem that that I was having or why I was having certain pains. Wow. And came to a few years after, so from the age to six to seven, I think we did some very deep uh, research into my condition. And we finally went to um, a kidney specialist who actually found out that I was having, um, you know, one of my kidney was, was pretty much dead already. Oh. And uh, the other one was constantly failing. So um, what was happening is my system was not being, you know, filtered properly, I would say. And so um, I was not, my body was not getting the proper detox it needed. And so I was poisoning, auto-poisoning myself because my kidney would not filter anything at all. So um, it was, it was quite a difficult time. Because we had to make some major life decision. Uh, at that time, I grew up with, with my mother only. So it was quite uh, difficult for her to handle uh, this part of my life, you know. Yeah. And, and so we went to that kidney specialist. And you have to imagine a little girl who's like seven or eight years old sitting in front of a kidney specialist who's telling her, well, you know, we have two choices. Basically, you can live like this for a few more years, you know. Uh, in pain and uh, having kidney failures, or we can try to work on both of your kidneys and and hopefully kind of, you know, you will survive. So it was, I guess it kind of was uh, difficult for me to hear. Yeah. But but without really realizing what it was, uh, you know, it's difficult to imagine that you're basically facing facing death at like, eight years old and that you might endure or have a very difficult uh, childhood from now on. So the only point that really made me realize it was a serious decision that needed to be made on my part was when I saw my mother next to me crying. And, you know, I realized, okay, that's probably not going to be an easy choice to make, but I guess, you know, one choice is to leave for a few years and the other one is to 
is to get this double six hour surgery going and hope, hope for the best. Mm. So when you, you mentioned that you guys did some research yourself, so did you guys, was it just you and your mom doing that or was there someone helping you? Because I like how you, because no one was able to help you, right? But then you took control of it and tried to find out what was wrong. So I was constantly, constantly mis- misdiagnosed. So people would say, you know, you have a urinary tract infection as a little girl, or you have those problems, but they never pushed it further. So we had a lot of specialists on my case. We had a lot of doctors. Uh, but really, you know, the, the doctors and specialists back in Europe, seeing my mom as a single mom were not really, I don't even know, they were just not really helpful. Um mm. And not really looking too deep into my problem. They were just thinking I was lazy at night to get up and use the bathroom, I guess. Or, you know, <laughs> that that was the kind of problem, you know. And, and when you're a child, you're like, well, you know, I'm. it's, it's really not coming from me, guys. <laughs> you know, I, I think I really have a problem. And it's difficult to put that as a as an eight-year-old, as a seven-year-old, and to explain, you know, doctors that you see as professional your 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 case you know so it's difficult to have a, a voice and try to explain that in in your child language of course yeah but i like how you didn't give up and kept searching for answers yes thanks to my mother of course but uh but that was a very difficult time and so after we met with the kidney specialist a couple months later i was uh, i was in the hospital for for a few months so for about four months I was held in the hospital after many complications and it was difficult. So I stayed about four months in the hospital. Right. My mom was sleeping next to me on a, on a couch uh, because the rooms were not quite ready to receive more than, than one patient. And so she was doing her best to support me and work at the same time. And really, it was, a, it was a difficult time. You know, I mean, I was always strong, but for me, it was just difficult to see my mom going through that as I was also in pain. Mm. So, so it was, it was a difficult time. I was drugged up for about four months, you know, not to feel any pain under cortisone, under all type of medication with five uh, IV on each arm with uh, drained in, in my belly. You know, it was. Oh, wow. You know, it, but was there, was there any sort of plan? During these four months, uh, like other than drugging you to keep you comfortable, was there any sort of forward-looking plan or, or they, they were clueless at the moment? No, I was just, no, we were really just hoping for the best, hoping that, uh, you know, the, the surgery would go well and that, and that all the rebuilding of my inner uh, kidney would have gone like the, the best way, I would say, but there was no plan until uh, full recovery. So... It was step by step, but I was so drugged up that even uh, it was a children's hospital. And so, you know, even the, the clown, I remember it. I have some flashback where the clowns would walk into my room to try to make me laugh. And I was so, you know, drugged up that I couldn't even laugh or smile. I was just, yeah, no, I had, I've just had a few flashbacks, but it was just a difficult moment. Mm. So, you know, what was going through your mind at that point of time? Obviously, you were drugged and, you know, it was a tough period. So, like, where was your mind at during that whole, those whole four months? Well, it was it was kind of difficult. You know, I had only my mom in my life and my grandparents. Uh, my grandparents could not uh, come and visit me because the hospital was actually in south of France, not in, uh, not in Corsica, it was in Marseille. So I couldn't really have any anybody from my family visit me. And... 
the only thing that was going through my mind is I wanted to enjoy my summer. I wanted to enjoy my, my birthday because my birthday is in July and that was happening from, you know, June to September. Uh, at that time, obviously, it was school break, so I didn't want any of my friends to know. I was kind of, you know, keeping everyone, or my mom at the time was keeping everyone kind of blurry on the actual condition. And so, you know, for me, it was just, I really wanted to, to get back to my normal lifestyle, playing with my friends and, and tennis and open water sports and everything I enjoyed, you know. And it, it was difficult because the doctors had told me, when you get out of the hospital, you know, there's going to be some, some time to, to take off on top of all your four months of, of being in the hospital. You know, you cannot touch the water. You cannot, because I was so wound up everywhere. Right. You know, so many things I had to take care of and then have a nurse at home every single day to change everything they had put in my, on my body and in my body. So it was, it was difficult. Mm. So what was the whole recovery process like after surgeries? So the, the full recovery was, was pretty basic. Uh, it was actually, I couldn't, you know, sweat. I, c- I couldn't practice any sports. I had to stop tennis for a little while. I couldn't just, you know, play regularly in the playground or anything. I had to keep my body really, you know, dry from all the areas that I touched on the operation. And so I had to keep all my scar very clean and I had to really prevent any type of infection because I really like going back to the hospital so um, i had to you know take care of all my wounds very carefully and uh, limit my you know my activity to any type of sweating so that kind of set me back and you know i was really craving this activity i was always a very active child and very enjoying the uh, very much enjoying the uh, the outdoors so that definitely was a, was a difficult time for the uh, the year after uh, my operation, and then I slowly got back into uh, tennis, and slowly got back into uh, being able to get in the water again, and all these things. So during that time, did you, because you weren't able to be active, did you sort of find any other hobby or interest to, you know, just deal with it? I mean, I was, you know, I was never a big fan of video games or anything that would keep me indoors. So I would just be happy if I would be sitting on the beach or. Things like that. You have to remember, I was on on an island, so you know, I, I never yeah. grew up in front of my computer, uh, which at the time was not even that common anyway. And um, and I was not used to staying indoors and you know complaining or anything. So I was just taking everything on me and going outside, walking or being with my mom uh, around the city. But I, I had to really stay uh, limited on my activities. Hmm. And your mom has obviously played a significant role throughout it all. So what what's one thing that you could say that you've learned from her and something that maybe you still implement or just kind of remind yourself of regularly? Oh, she's like, she's been my my amazing mentor since, since the day I was born, but she's been, you know, teaching me amazing values and sets of values, I think, you know. Um, never give up, never... You know, never take everything that's being offered to you by life for granted. You know, always enjoy every single moment. Uh, not only that my operation taught me that, but um, and my sickness and my, my condition taught me that, but my mom was really a strong, dedicated woman to have, you know, a healthy, uh, healthy kid by her side and always taught me amazing values when it comes to remaining strong and pushing your limits and 
you know, respecting the people around you and the people who are trying to help out and all these things. So she's really, uh, she's really set an amazing tone in my life since an early age. Uh, and growing up only with her as a single mother and my and my grandparents, I think that also set a quite strong tone that I should always be persevering, pushing my limits, and uh, and you know being an independent, uh, strong woman. So was that the reason you were sort of attracted towards triathlon? Um, like when did that when did that sport come into your life and how? So uh, when I moved to the U.S., I was uh, I was you know always doing this uh, Spartan race or always pushing myself to the the limits, and I was always had to have you know a group of people to organize those races. And then I realized a lot of people would not follow through or you know didn't want to attend the race, and I had to find something a bit more on the individual side. I would say you know. Yeah. And uh, so. Because of the people I met when I moved in New York, I was I was lucky to meet a, a few people who were actually into triathlon. So one of them is is Don Donald, uh, my best friend. And I remember he told me, you know, I'm doing those triathlon for for the past ten years. You should definitely try it because you know you're you're healthy, you're an active person, you like to challenge yourself. And in my mind, I had never heard of triathlon before. I mean. <laughs> I would have never dared to even try a race like that. But I remember us being in uh, in Philadelphia where he lived at the time. And he told me, you know, Melody, you should definitely try a triathlon. There is one coming up in two months. And I was like, in two months? But I have to swim, bike and run and I'm not even trained for it. I mean, I don't even know what to do. And he said, don't worry, just sign up for it and then just enjoy it. Cool. You know? <laughs> So obviously, knowing myself, knowing that I love challenges and I'm not really scared of anything, I'm, you know, I actually like the unknown. I would say, I jumped on the, I, I took the challenge uh, with him, and uh, and so I completed my first triathlon. Uh, it was an Olympic distance, mm -hmm. and um, I never did any sprint distance. I went straight into the Olympic distance, <laughs> and um, and I thought I was going to die. Oh God. <laughs> Because it's not that I was not used to swimming, nor biking, nor running. It's just once you combine the three activities together, it's quite different. And if you don't know how to pace yourself, and if you don't have a, a coach with you, and it's really purely onto the unknown, like you have no clue how to how to really, you know, don't like not burn out right away and all these things. So... It was quite a challenge. I mean, I remember being on that bike and I was like, what am I getting myself into? This is terrible. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I finished that, I crossed that finish line. And the first thing I told Don, I remember was like, I will never do that. I don't even know how people, you know, run bigger distances than this. It's, it's not possible. You know, the classic reaction. Yeah, classic. I mean, classic. And that's been really, really something with me for the past uh, the past year of me doing a triathlon has been like as soon as I cross the finish line, I never want to do it again. You know, forget about it. That was my last race. I hate it. It's <laughs> and it usually takes me about 24 hours to process. And after that, I want to sign up for a next race. Of course. So. I love the fact that you started your triathlon journey in Philadelphia. No, it's like the. If you are a Rocky um, fan movie like I am, you know, obviously Rocky's from Philadelphia and, and that's the movie where you see him like climbing the stairs and putting his arms uh, high. It's just very symbolic for me. That's, that was pretty, pretty cool. 
it is. It is, and I uh, I pass actually the, the course bike on that uh, amazing race, by the way, that's very well organized and put together. Is we we ride right in front of the of the rocky steps. Nice. So that was a nice little reminder. Come on, push your limits and let's do it. You know. <laughs> so what brought you to Philadelphia? So I was uh, I had a few friends there, and uh, Don at the time was uh, was living there. Uh, we had a few, you know, a few parties uh, and few uh, get-together with uh, with uh, friends from all around the world. I would say there at his house, and uh, that's how we were most of the time getting together in Philadelphia. And that's when the first triathlon happened. So it was a great coincidence. Okay, so you were just visiting, and you just did it during the visit, or did you like actually move from? Just visiting from New York. Okay. Yes. <laughs> that's that's nice. Mm. And you said that you moved, uh, so you moved to New York when you were 18. So what was the main reason that brought you to New York? So the interesting fact about me moving to New York when I was 18 was that I first came to visit New York in 2008, February 2008. And I was like, wow, that's a wonderful city to be in. And I passed by this local French school, this uh, French private high school. And I said, you know, I should really sign up in this school and see if I can if I can one day come here, obviously it was difficult to get in, but I applied without even telling my mother about it. <laughs> and a few months later, I had totally forgotten about me applying to this school and it was, you know, private school, so expensive and, and everything around it, like everything in New York. My mom received a letter at home, back at home in Corsica, and she opened the letter crying and she said, you never told me about this. I was not even sure what she was talking about because it was no longer in my mind. I had almost forgotten about it. <laughs> and I was happy and at the same time surprised that they had even responded to my to my request to, uh, to my application. So I told her, you know, I think it would be a good thing for me. And I couldn't speak a one word of English when I moved to, to New York at 18. Oh. And that was, oh, wow. uh, that was 10 years ago. I'm now 28, so... That was 18. So from I moved there at 18 years old. I did my uh, French international diploma, uh, all in French. I was only speaking French and Spanish at the time, some Italian as well. And then and then I didn't speak English at all. I failed bluntly my English test uh, during my international exam. And so for one whole year, being in New York at 18 years old, from 18 to 19 years old, I was only speaking French and Spanish. Spanish is the second most lang uh, spoken language in uh, in New York, so it was kind of easy for me to get around. But then as soon as I finished that diploma, it, it was difficult for me to pursue any type of uh, education, you know, education. So I had to really put my mind to English and learn it. So I did that at, uh, at Columbia University. I actually went there to do an intensive uh, intensive English learning program. For a whole summer, and then I started my uh, my education uh, and did all my education in, in the United States to my uh, my master's degree. Okay. I mean that's that's a pretty big step to take, right? Especially going leaving your mom and then going there and not knowing the language, and you know, it was a big step. But like I said before, just like for everything else I've done in life, it, it's been um, you know walking into the unknown, not really sure of what would happen but never fear anything just you know what 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 is the worst that could happen really uh, if you don't take a chance yeah you know i would be going back home and leaving 
uh, with my mom. I was only 18. So, uh, but one big turning point was when I called my mom and I told her I'm coming back home. So she was thrilled. Uh, she heard that I was 19 years old and I said, no, I'm coming back home to pick up one more clothes, one more luggage full of <laughs> to stay here <laughs> and do my education. So not happy again. <laughs> but yeah, and since, since then, you know, now looking back at it, she's obviously very happy because she has a, a place to stay here in New York when she comes and she's more than happy to to come and, and be in the city with me or or travel when we have a chance. So it's looking back at it. She's she's very proud now. She's very happy, but uh, it was not that easy for her to let me go. Yeah, any any mother would have the same so, same issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. So what were you studying? What were you pursuing in college? So I studied. Um, I started with uh, economics, and then I uh, got both of my degrees in uh, in corporate communication. I, I started at at Columbia University, and then transferred to uh, Baruch College and uh in the city as well and i was able to to finish both of my uh of my degrees in in new york so i was very happy with that and at the same time so i think i finished my my master's degree actually when i started my my uh, triathlon my full like triathlon experience so what did you go to f- when was the first triathlon was it before you were 18 or no so my first triathlon was was in june a year ago oh okay a year ago a year and a half ago a year and a half ago yeah 2017 there you go yeah i think that was it that was the first race in philadelphia and after that i went and signed up i remember for a few other olympic distance races i think the second one was in uh in washington dc so that was my second race Mm -hmm. Uh, same Olympic distance and after my second Olympic distance I signed up for Ironman Cartagena in Colombia right away that was definitely an exciting moment I remember Don and I were talking and I was just like let's do it you know why not I know Colombia very well I'm supposed to go there for work how about we try to run this race I was excited to travel internationally I love to travel so I said let's get let's give it you know a chance and and race in, in Colombia and it was a great experience and I thought I would never race again because it was horribly difficult <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but do, you, do you change the approach to the sport between you did your Philadelphia triathlon all the way to going into this uh, 70.3 in Cartagena yes yeah, so uh, like I said the first one was very uh, disorganized I would say in my training because I would training uh, I was training a bit of each each you know the running portion the the biking and the swimming but not really coordinating anything because I, I didn't know anything about triathlon and then um, as I liked the first race in Philadelphia, I decided maybe I should look a bit more into the training and the way it goes. So I had wonderful people helping me aside from Don, who was uh, a great uh, triathlete already. You know, I started to follow pages from people who were into triathlon and, and get more into the, you know, the whole atmosphere of what triathlon really is. And uh, the, I started to understand the training better. So... Um, you know, I started, for example, uh, training for my transitions, which I wasn't sure what it was before and how it worked. But, you know, the importance of, for example, biking and right after starting running, this was a very difficult thing to learn for me because I felt like I was running like a penguin after my biking <laughs> portion. 
and my hips were totally locked and it was very, very difficult. And one of my uh, friend who was happened to be a triathlete coach told me, you know, Melody, you need to start, you know, biking for one hour or two hours and then get straight onto the, the running. Even if your running is going to be 10 minutes, uh, it needs to become kind of a habit for you uh, if you want to become a better triathlete because it's it's a transition that needs to happen and your body needs to be, be used to it so so i started doing this you know for my second race in uh, in washington dc i felt much better at least on those transition and so so that was the first part and then from september to september to the 70.3 in Cartagena, i also got some more tips from more uh professional triathletes uh, that gave me some good tips on how to proceed with the longer distance swimming and, and the transition onto the bike and how to stay strong, you know, for the whole, uh, the whole uh, riding uh, portion of the bike and, and then transition to the running portion. Mm. Very helpful tips from, from all of those people and definitely helped me out quite a bit for the 70.3, which was tremendously different and difficult i mean it was, I mean, it was <laughs> in a hundred degree weather uh running in the sun um in the whole city of cartagena and it was very 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 difficult i remember that but i crossed the finish line that's important <laughs> nice <laughs> yeah i can imagine that for yourself being such a natural in the water right making the transition from olympic distance to 70.3 Obviously, the the differences in in, in swimming distances is, is is just very it's very little, right? From one point five to one point nine k. Yes. But then, and you are a natural in the water, right? So for, I'm sure that the there there was no shock in terms of the water, but I'm sure, or if there was any shock, especially how you you how you talk about the race that it was very difficult. I'm sure that this shock comes from those bike and run segments that you were not so familiar with that actually double in size from uh, from one category to the other oh yeah that was no i agree with you i mean that was uh the most difficult you know my swimming like you said i was never scared of the swimming portion it was not really about my time but uh, me being comfortable in the water at the time uh, my friend had told me, you know, if it's your first 70.3, just take it easy, but enjoy the, the whole ride. You know, don't try to, you can't compare it to any other time because that's going to be your first 70.3 race. So just enjoy it and, and finish it. And so... I going to PB regardless of anything. <laughs> yeah, I can't do any PB. <laughs> just try to finish it and not die along the way. But, um, but that's, you know, definitely the biking portion was so difficult you know i luckily i knew the the road that we were uh riding on because i had been to colombia several times for the past the past years and i knew that road very well but um but the heat and the headwinds were really a killer on that road and uh, i didn't have you know the best bike either i had a good bike but it was not the best and you know i just tried to stay comfortable on on, on my bike for the race but then the the killer and the shocker for me was when I got out of that bike. I mean, I could have trained as much as I could have in, in those past three months between my DC, between my DC race and this race in Colombia. And I don't think it would have even been enough because that transition, I remember my hips were really locked, you know, uh, after such a long distance of, of riding. 
And I had to hit the run like right away. And in the heat, it was very, very difficult. And the problem is like every single time I was stopping, I could feel it was, you know, at the, at the water station, for example, it was getting even more and more difficult to keep going. So at some point I decided, okay, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to stop. I'm just going to run slow, but I'm not going to stop. And I remember passing by, uh, by Don, my best friend who was running as well. And he actually totally gave up on his, on his, uh, run because he wasn't even used to that much heat. So he just walked the whole time. Uh, luckily he's very tall. So he was walking as much as I was running. He was as fast as me, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but you know, it it was definitely a, a, a difficult race. And I would say it's the first time I realized that mental is as important as physical if if not more because at oh, some yeah. point you know that's what i loved at some point about triathlon with you was the the mental portion i'm a very strong-minded and strong-willed person and i think the mind needs to run the body at some point in triathlon and your body becomes more of a machine you know and you become more of a robotic more of a robot and then every single movement that you're going to do are just robotic so you're just going to keep running and you need to tell your mind that, you know, you can't give up and your mind needs to take over and you need to kind of shut your body down and just go with your mind for the rest of the race because you hit those walls. And if you give up, it's just terrible. I mean, once you stop, you can't start again. So it's a very, it's a very tricky game that you play with your mind along the race. Mm, Absolutely. And so uh Given your operations, do you still have any complexities when you race or train even like nutrition or anything like that? Thank God I do not have any more problem. I was uh, followed um, up to the age of 18. So for 10 years of my life, I was followed by a specialist to make sure that, uh, you know, the surgery had gone well. Mm -hmm. But as far as my training, you know, I always try to obviously stay, um, you know, on top of my health. Yeah. And for training, you know, no, no specific like restrictions or no specific, you know, things to, to eat or, I mean, it was pretty, pretty basic. The one thing I could never really do when I was growing up after the surgery and all was uh, eating sweets and uh, anything that was um, carbonated drinks. So it's not something I'm really attracted to. Anyway, so I know during the training and during the, the races, I had to take all those like goos and all these things, which uh, would, would keep me up and running and give me enough energy. But even during my training, training sessions, I was never really into taking those, those supplements with a ton of sugar. And I just felt much better with a bit of water and some BCAA, for example, but not, no, not too much sugar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you didn't stop at the 70.3 did you you went on to do an ironman so after the 70.3 uh once again i crossed the finish line i definitely crossed that finish line and cried i mean because it was so challenging uh not only physically but uh, my mind was definitely pushed to its limit to another limit you know uh it was another milestone I guess in my life and I was like wow I can't believe I I made it you know so I think it was you know interesting I crossed the finish line obviously for 48 hours I never wanted to race again I told Don forget about me as your international 
triathlete partner. I will never do it again. And then he told me, of course, I've heard that before, but you will sign up for another race very soon, which is what happened 48 hours later. <laughs> I told him, <laughs> I told him, why don't we sign up for a full, uh, full length Ironman? And Don, being a triathlete for 10 years, had done uh, 70.3s and Olympic distance, but had never done a full distance Ironman. And so I told him, just let's let's do it together. You know, I've he said, you know, we, we can do it. I mean, that's a great idea, I guess. <laughs> so um, we we signed up for this um, Ironman in uh, Denmark, and uh, and we kind of went backwards from that and trained. Uh, all the way to that full uh, full distance. We did other 70.3s for that. We did in Canada and uh, the US. And then we also did some um, some Olympic distance just for the the sake the sake of, of training, I guess, and staying in the in the race uh, mentality, you know, mm-hmm. and keeping keeping track of our progress. But it was it was definitely an interesting time to train. At that time, I actually hired a, uh, a, a coach, a friend of mine who was a triathlete, a professional USA triathlon coach. And I told him, you know, I need, I need help. I need exactly what needs to be done, the proper training. Uh, so I had, I had a proper schedule with him. And so from December to August, I trained fully with, uh, with my coach. And he was obviously a great help. Definitely. Help me cross that finish line in August in uh, in uh, in Denmark. Yeah, I mean, I mean, much better now because I think so. You told me that you told us that uh, you did a seventy point three only three months after you did Washington without a coach, but just with sort of how do you say advice here and there. And now this time you said okay, let's take this a little bit more serious, and you took a little bit like what was like eight months or nine months in with a coach. So I think things for you stepped up. A little bit, no. You were more, definitely more prepared to tackle the hundred and forty point six. That's true. Uh, I also decided to upgrade my equipment. I realized, you know, the bike I had was good. Everything I had was good, but it was not good enough for a one hundred and forty point six miles. So I was like, okay, let's get ready. Let's get prepared with the right equipment. So I invested in uh, in my bike. I invested in all the, the right equipment for that full distance. And definitely put my mind to it. But the one thing is, you know, once I know I have a goal set, then I, I like to achieve it and I like I like to get it done. So in any sports I've ever done, I like to get to the most difficult part of it. And quite rapidly, right? Because when I when I raced my uh my full distance, it had only been uh, 14 months since I ever raced triathlon for the first time. So in 14 months I raced in like maybe five or six Olympic distance, two or three, 70.3, and then one full distance. So it was a lot of racing for 14 months, but a great process. I mean, you know, the feeling of constantly being challenged and really understand your body to another level is was really amazing to me. The process was great. You get to know yourself way better, get to understand your body and what your body needs and how much you can push yourself. I mean, it's, it's really amazing how much you can push yourself just on your mind and on your will to, to accomplish certain goals, you know, it's just amazing. And it only, it only, you can only realize those things until you actually push yourself to limits you'd never imagined before, you know? I don't think I could have any ever experienced those type of of feelings if I hadn't raced in triathlon races and Ironmans 
uh, 70.3 of full distance and understand the way my body worked and what my body needed and how I could push it further and how I can still push it further. So it's, it's really, it's been an amazing process, I have to say, and in getting to know myself better, my body, my brain. And it's really something that I could be using in, even in my professional life, you know, um, I, I was saying, you know, if one day I have a company and I want to hire people, I really want to hire people who train in triathlon because mm. it takes so much dedication and willpower and, and great mind strength that, you know, you know, it's people who have very strong will and, and very, um, dedicated and, and organized and, and don't give up, you know, they're like warriors and fighters. And <laughs> I know what fascinates me is always racing with, with people and it really becomes a big family, you know, uh, all these races, you end up meeting people at different races, you end up uh, getting in touch and staying in touch and sharing the same passion, traveling around the world. Uh, you know, meeting people in different countries and cities and still realizing we're all in there to cross the finish line. And and the, the beauty of triathlon, it's a very, it's a individualistic sport, obviously, but it's also teamwork and you race for yourself and you, you compete against yourself, but everybody's there to help you and to, and to comfort you. And, you know, there is no, there is no competing against each other. You compete compete only against yourself and everybody is extremely supportive and, and amazing during any of those races internationally. Yeah, I think I also share that uh, experience. You know, I think it's not a triathlon. One of the beauty things it has is it's not a zero-sum game. You know? In the end, uh, you're, everyone is competing against their own selves. And uh, as long as there's progress and as long as you see yourself growing, you're happy to do and you don't care. I mean, maybe some people are maybe frustrated at some point oh i didn't get to kona because uh, i was the sixth and the fifth guy that that's like like very minimal moment so you can say that you may oppose the progress of of someone else but uh, other than that it's just i think it's incredible you know, that sort of a uh, sense of community that uh, this sport brings in it is and everybody really pushing each other to do a better job and to give in tips and techniques that can you know better do like help the way you train and uh, the way you see the sports overall. Um, I think it's, it's an amazing thing, you know, to be able to compete all over the world in different, you know, different type of settings and different, meeting different people. And really the atmosphere is, is always the same. It's always incredible, incredibly supportive. The people who organize those races, Ironman or others are always, you know, I mean, fantastic. And and you can tell, you know, everybody is is proud to see people crossing the finish line. You know, like I'm happy when I see other people crossing the finish line, and I'm like, you don't, you never know what your story is. You never know what the people's stories are, and it's it's always amazing to see that people who even have a missing leg will cross that finish line, and that's come on, that's, that's you know, <laughs> you're like, how can I not push myself when people who have disabilities are pushing themselves, and I'm a very healthy person. You know, I have to push myself further and I have to push my limits. You know, it's always, you see people who have a tremendous willpower and, and, and you can never give up on those races. It's just the, the, the power of this community around you is so strong that it gives you all the power you need in the world. It's just, you need to run, to have your, your mind run your body really. And that's something that's, that's part of the training. I think if I have to give 
an advice to to people it's training your mind is probably most or just as important as as training your body you know setting a goal for example i remember getting on my bike when i was waking up in the morning for my training uh to the full distance and i was like okay today i'm going to go and race and ride for 6 hours you know and i would not get off on my bike until it was 6 hours of riding and it's just it's willpower you know it's like you get it in your brain and you're going to get it done for six hours, no matter how long you race and how far you race, you need to stay on that bike and get used to it. And it takes, you know, it takes you to train your mind like crazy. I mean, I remember my coach was like, you can't really listen to music because, you know, you need to listen to your body and you need to listen to, to everything you're doing really during your training. And, and you're not allowed to listen to music during races, which seems like amazingly absurd to me at the time. <laughs> I was like, how can I possibly complete the race for 140.6 miles and not listen to music? I mean, I can barely run two miles without music, you know? So that was another big milestone, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I had to listen to, for example, motivational uh, speech and motivational uh, music and things like that that would really push me push my my progress and my training a little bit further yeah we all need that once in a while exactly exactly but uh no it, it was definitely challenging all the way to the all the way to august and then mark uh, the training portion was was challenging so yeah everything everything was was great yeah yeah and another thing i loved was and what this whole community allows us to do is that you know, just support a cause. And I believe you raised funds for the National Kidney Foundation. Yes, yes. I mean, uh, for me, it was an important thing to do when I when I uh, raised some funding for the uh, National Kidney Foundation was um, obviously because of my experience, but I really wanted to show people that, you know, you should never give up, even given on your, your health condition. If you have the opportunity to take a step, then, you know, take a step further and take another one and push your limits. And I wanted to show people that regardless, regardless of your past and how fit you are or how adept you are to actually cross the finish line for an Ironman or for any type of triathlon, there is always like someone that you can inspire and there is always someone that you can leave with you know, a special mark and you have to make people realize that they are their own obstacles and they are their own, their own heroes as well, you know? So, so it was important for me to help this, uh, this foundation to raise awareness on my condition and how far I went into pushing my limits. But it was important for me to show people that things can be done when you really want them and you, when you're really willing to, to push your your limits you you can do it and i wanted to set the example for all the people who suffer from from kidney disease and children and adults and people who are constantly on dialysis and all these things you know things can be done and you can push your limits so i wanted to set that example by by raising funds for my race and at the same time for this uh this organization Hmm. so when were you able to open up about your whole condition because earlier you said that you were trying to be as normal as you could as a kid and your mom wasn't exactly telling other people what was wrong so was it only after the triathlon that you sort of started opening up about the whole thing yes so you know one thing i realized when i started talking to the kidney foundation shan was like i realized that a lot of conditions like health conditions are very common to talk about like a heart condition or cancers and things like that but some 
condition, health conditions are not very common to talk about. Like kidney kidney uh, malfunction and and failures are not something that we hear that often. And and it's so weird because it affects so many people. I don't. There is always one person around us, a friend, a colleague, a family member that has had some type of kidney condition because it's so common. But not many people open up about it or talk about it because. It's not as common as a uh, heart disease and it's not advertised on TV, on TV like uh, heart disease or um, medication that can help. You know, it's those type of treatment that cost a fortunes to, to, to help out and, and we don't really talk about it. So I had never really thought it was any, like it had any importance for me to actually talk about my condition until I realized that other people was, were in the same bag and, and wow, I can probably make a difference if I tell my story. You know, I was never really attracted to telling my private story to the people because I had some type of, you know, I was just reserved, I guess, about my private life and what I had went through because it was nothing for me to be proud of or nothing I had accomplished. I just had to basically survive. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was never something I wanted to boast about. But I realized, you know, it's not about boasting. It's about helping other people who might need a little push to be motivated and, and, uh, and give, get some hope. And so, you know, I think, I think it was just an important step for me to open up and share my story as I was experiencing those new type of, of races and triathlon. And definitely triathlon helped me to do that. And I saw a lot of people were sharing their own story and I said, I don't think I have a story to tell. And then I realized, well, maybe I do. And, uh, that's when I actually opened up and, and decided to, raise some money on GoFundMe for that organization. Yeah, that's awesome. So along with opening up about your own journey and story, you are also a part of the UN as a video producer. And so you guys document and produce videos about various stories. So when and how did you become a part of the UN? And was that something you've always sort of wanted to do or been attracted to? Uh, so I've been actually, I've been part of the United Nations working there for eight years now in different positions. The latest one, when I started my, um, I was always involved in communication and speech and uh, and production. The latest title that I have was uh, production because I'm producing uh, documentaries and video marketing for some organizations at the uh, within the United Nations. And so I have, you know, I've been doing that for quite some time now, but uh, it was definitely a good uh, a good way for me to open up about my condition and what I was going through and also uh, for people to know a little bit more about myself. People that I had known for uh, six, seven, eight years who never really knew about that condition. And when they saw that post that the uh, Kidney Foundation had wrote about me, they said, well, we never knew about that. You're always very happy and well you know we think like everything is bright and pink in your life you know everything is going well but you obviously went through some some very difficult time in life and we had we would have never guessed that i opened up uh, a little bit more with the people i worked with too but uh, yeah the un has been a great organization uh, to share and 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 spread the word obviously hmm. you're currently working on this project called a call for peace Right. So talk to us about that and what it represents. Uh, so a Call for Peace is a documentary that uh, my uh, my partner and I did uh, started last year. We decided to, 
we've been involved at the UN, like I said before, for about eight years, and uh, we've seen everything that was happening in the building. And uh, we kind of became curious on why all this war was still happening around the world. And so we decided we've had a foot on the ground, uh, experiencing, uh, you know, real time uh, wars and, and crises. And we've had a foot in the building, the, in the UN building, where we saw all this regulation pass. And so we, uh, going back to Colombia, we, uh, my business partners is from Colombia as well. And so we decided to shot a documentary on the longest uh, peace process that was signed, the longest conflict that was resolved by peace, peace process um, after 50 years of war in Colombia between the FARC, uh, the armed force in Colombia and the government. So it was always very intriguing for us to to work on that. And we did a documentary that premiered at the United Nations in uh, on December 4th. We had like 500 guests at the United Nations. And uh, and now it's going to be showing in various festivals and, and around the world before we give it to, you know, network like Netflix or with other networks. Mm, that's awesome. Yes. So continuing in our in our production, we're, we're still working on on few projects with the United Nations for 2019. Uh, but that was our main project in uh, in 2018, and uh, we're still showing and screening that documentary around for various governments and before it appears to the public eye. Yeah, and I love the fact that so also uh, I just love the fact, and you know that every guest that we have, I always look into the Instagram accounts to see how anything that strikes my eye or, and, uh, and there's always, there's always something out there, no? There's the people like doing these nice, very nice breakfast dishes or crazy yoga poses. <laughs> but in your case, I've seen yeah. that you have a number of celebrity friends, no? And I'm so envious, no? It's like, <laughs> you know, you're friends with Shakira, you're friends uh, with uh, Juan Manuel Santos, who's a former Colombian president. Uh, you're even friends with Akon. I love Akon. So I was wondering, like, <laughs> does she work in showbiz or UN or what's going on here? <laughs> That's a very good question. Actually, Econ and I have known each other for quite some time now. We've been working together on uh, on the energy sector, on renewable energy. Uh, he has uh, various initiatives that you might have heard of, uh, Econ Lighting Africa, Econ Lighting America initiatives, help people you know, which help people in, in uh, poor countries or underdeveloped countries or rural areas to uh, get some uh, energy and electricity based on solar power. And so I've been working with him for quite a few years as, as business partners. And I've actually, as of uh, this week, I've become the, the president of Econ Lighting America. Oh, that's nice. awesome. Congrats. Thank you. It was a, a, a great transition, not, not so unfamiliar because we've been working on, on renewable energy together for quite some time, but, uh, but definitely a great, a great move. And, and so, yeah, so we're close friends and also Juan Manuel Santos, like you mentioned before, uh, former president of Colombia, who's the one who signed the peace process was a great, great friend and great supporter for our documentary. He came to the United Nations when we premiered our documentary on December. And other other celebrities that are also great friends. Uh, I don't see any of those people as celebrity. For me, they're just uh, great, great people to be surrounded with, uh, great human beings. They love to give back. I mean, in the case of Akon, you know, he doesn't come from 
a background where he, where he was always an angel, but certainly turned out to be an amazing man and an amazing and strong supporter of, of giving back and, uh, and giving back everything he has to the people who are less fortunate, you know, and, and make, uh, make his, his country and his continent, uh, Africa, believing that things are, are, are possible and, um, and showing, showing, you know, being the role model for that. So he's, nice. he's a great guy. And yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure for me working with him for the past years and, and now, you know, getting in a big, bigger role from bigger position for me to helping him even better in his endeavors to, to helping with, you know, renewable energy around the world. So that's great. Amazing. So I'm curious, you know, you, you being a part of the UN, like where do you see sport in the whole macro conversation of peace? Because, you know, sport is obviously like a powerful tool that can help promote those ideas of peace and justice and conflict and resolution. And given you've been active in sporty right from your childhood, now you're doing triathlon. So do you feel like you may ever want to get involved in supporting initiatives that are using sport for peace and development? Actually, so that's one of the projects we have with the UN in 2019 with my partner, Juan Carlos. We have a production company with and we have uh, a project that involves sports and peace. We've seen many celebrities and many people coming out of war zone uh, because of the help of sports and for them being able to see a future for themselves because of the sports they were playing, for example. Mm. So I think it's something we, uh, a new documentary that will, that will come up for us. I can't tell you much more about it because, because I really can't. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but it's definitely a uh, definitely a connection we've made uh, the sports and the the peace relation and the United Nations. It's something we're definitely looking into for uh, for this upcoming year uh, on the production side and uh, and definitely will will use that that experience in triathlon to you know push people to to do better things. And yeah, I mean you'll probably get an update on that in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> well, we look forward to seeing that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, Manalili. So as we sort of wrap things up, we have a final few questions. What's the message you would want people listening to take away from your story? Well, I think I've said it. I've said it before, and I, I will say it over and over again. You know, um, never take the simple things in life for granted. You know, you breathe every day, and that's not given to everybody. Uh, we wake up and you know, enjoy life to the most. Stay active, stay healthy. I mean, I always say it, our body is like a, a machine. And if we don't take care of it, then unfortunately, we won't stay healthy for, for a long time and we won't be able to enjoy all these beautiful things that life has to offer. So definitely that and push your limits, train your mind, train your body to, you know, um, to do better and greater all the time. Don't think, don't stop yourself. Don't let other people stop you and uh, never compare yourself to others. Everybody has their own story. You know, never give up. Don't compare yourself because it might set you back and you don't want that. So the one thing I would say is just uh, keep looking forward and always stay positive regardless of what comes across in life because it's, it's really a great gift. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Love that. And what's our next for you on your journey? Do you have your sights on doing achieving something? Any particular races or anything like that? Well, so I'm um, I'm actually registered to do the um, Ironman seventy point three New Zealand the next month, and I will be doing a full full length uh, the one forty point six in Austria in uh, in July on my birthday, July seventh. Amazing. 
So I'm quite excited for that. And uh, and in between, I'm sure I will be uh, registering for a few Olympic or 70.3 distances to prepare for that uh, that long distance. But uh, really, the fact that I can uh, enjoy the the traveling portion, uh, discovering no con- new countries, new continent, and meeting new people while while I race is really been attractive to me. So I'm gonna keep doing that, and my friend Don and I will definitely keep uh, touring the world. <laughs> Great. And are there any people or brands that you like to give a shout out to who have helped you along your journey? Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's going to be a long list. Do you have time? Sure. I want to thank first my mother, obviously, and my grandparents because they've been so amazingly supportive. I want to thank my coach. I want to thank Don, who's been a great supporter. I want to thank uh, Michael and Karen Goodman because they've been Michael Goodman was my boss uh, this past year, and he's been an amazing supporter and a great supporter in my training and very uh, comprehensive and understanding that I had to take some time off to travel and all. So great, amazing people that I consider like family. And my stepdad also, Marin Rosso. I mean, so many people I'm so grateful to uh, for helping me out. I'm going to forget a million and I hate doing this. Why are you guys making me do that? (laughs) (laughs) But no, so like, you know, so many people I I can only be grateful for. And all the support, Akon, obviously, and all the people who have showed great support when I was raising raising funds for this uh, kidney organization. So... Definitely a big shout out to all my friends who are following my journey on Instagram and who are following my journey on Facebook. And I would be more than happy to help anybody out there who's, who wants to persevere in that in that sports. Uh, we need some mental coaching, you know. Uh, I'm ready to do that. So yeah, so thanks to everybody who's been helping me and being a strong supporter and believing and trusting me. So so where can everyone find you online or reach out to you? My Instagram account is Melody, my first name, M-E-L-O-D-I-E-207. And on uh, on Facebook, Melody Carly, C-A-R-L-I. You can probably Google me and find me. You'll find me out there somewhere. On the Kidney Foundation, there is a whole article about my story as well that I just shared with you guys. But uh, if anybody, I'm not going to give out my email or phone number. <laughs> but I'm, I'm sure... Anybody wants to get in touch can can get in touch through uh, through you guys and be more than happy to to help out anybody out there who needs some some coaching and yeah through Humans of Triathlon obviously which is a wonderful page and amazing you know community so thank you guys also for for all the support and following up on on everything with all the triathletes around the world thank you so our last question is why do you try. I try because I'm a warrior. <laughs> I don't give up. I don't believe in giving up. So I try. I try because I dare to try. I'll tell you. Awesome. I dare to try. Thanks for coming on the show, Melody. It was awesome having you. Thank you for everything. And, and I really highly recommend this podcast. And I highly recommend the whole Human of Triathlon. I mean, you guys are amazing. So thank you so much. And I look forward to giving you some more updates uh, in 2019. Yeah, definitely. We look forward to that as well. Oh, thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> All right, guys. And welcome again to another fantastic section of Triple C, Community Comments with Charles or C-Cubed, where your voice can be heard. And next week could be you. 
and where we hear, where we reveal those uh, sort of reviews of what you like, what you dislike, what you want to see more or less in the hot podcast. Today we go to a very far away place and uh, we're going to read this as follows. They continue to step up their game and make it better. As a fellow podcaster and endurance athlete, I can really appreciate what HOT is doing and, more importantly, the quality of their content. Keep crushing it. This comes from Mr. Jason Macaluso, and you can find him on Instagram at jmac underscore tries. Thank you very much, Jason. This means a lot, especially since you understand us as being a fellow podcaster. And remember, keep sending those reviews. Next week could be you. Um, you can find us on Facebook, on Instagram, on Strava, and on every, uh, let's call it, podcast platform you can imagine and think of. And until next week. Thanks a lot for listening to the show. We hope you're enjoying the guests and conversations we're bringing you here on the Hot Podcast. The show notes for everything mentioned or discussed during the chats can be found on our website, which is humansoftriathlon.com forward slash hot podcast. And thank you all for being a part of this community. We really appreciate it. And be sure to join us again next week, where we'll bring you another amazing guest and story from this ordinary but extraordinary world of triathlon. Until then, everyone, keep trying. <laughs>